God, that we'd both be able to understand your truth and just clarity in that. But God, as you do that so gently, would you take your truth and then weave it into our hearts tonight so that that which you would have for us, and it's different, Lord, we're, we're in different spaces around the room. The lessons that you're seeking to teach us are different around the room. And we need you to give that to us. We need you to communicate that to us. And so we're asking for help. We're asking that you give us understanding and your truth this evening. And that, Lord, you would apply this into the things that you have in store for us. So asking for each of us that right now, we lay this before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 22, uh, we launch into it there in verse 1, where it simply reads it this way. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver or gold. Choices. In many ways, those are the things we're talking about when we think about wisdom. We think about how wisdom applies and, and, and you know, being able to walk wisely, which is what the book of Proverbs calls out to us. It's so often about choices, and I like the word chosen in this text because it highlights for us that that in many ways what we're longing to be able to do is see that which is in front of us and do the right thing at the right space, at the right time, in the right way. That's godly wisdom, and that's certainly what the book of Proverbs is holding out to us. Well, right off the bat, in this proverb, as it begins it, it says there's, if there's a choice, where there are choices, you should choose to have a good name. You should choose character. You should choose what that would be. You should choose loving favor. Now, the word that's used here in Hebrew for loving favor isn't asking you to be loving, although that's a good application. Honestly, it speaks of being in a place uh, of honor and respect. It's in many ways saying the same thing, that as he gives us these two things, they, they really are highlighting you should choose, you know, honor, respect, to be a good person. That should be more valuable to you. You should choose that rather than great riches, rather than silver and gold. That if there's a choice, it's not that there's always a choice. I mean, it's not saying that all money is bad. That's certainly not true. Sometimes God blesses and and it works in the midst of that. That's true. But if there's a choice, okay, I could have money or I could be good. You should choose good. That, That person of character, to value integrity and character, it is more valuable than all the treasures of the world. Uh, that it, its impact is rich and wonderful in our lives, and God draws us to put that at a higher premium in your life, that where there are choices, the wise choice is to choose, uh, to choose character. May God make that in us. May he make us a people who walk in that space of character, in that space of favor. Well, keeping on, it tells us there in verse 2, the rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. The rich and poor, the idea, again, of of those who have financially riches and those who obviously are poor. But he says, here's something that you and I get a chance to see, something that we ought to be able to understand is that they have something in common. And the thing that they have in common is that the Lord is the maker of them all. It's a pretty simple Proverb, but I just want to pause and just let it wash over you for a moment. You know, we live in such a weird world right now that, you know, 
is championing things like inclusivity and, and, and tolerance, but the funny thing is it's doing anything other than that. It, it, everything that seems to be just happening in our world is creating whip, ripples and waves of, of division. And sometimes we can find ourselves there as people are divided over race and over uh, you know, politics and, and even over wealth. And, and God says there's something that should be very clear for us is that we would recognize, hey, God is the God of everybody. He is the God of everybody. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't treat it differently. In fact, it draws us to something that should be uniquely true about the body of Christ, that we should be a people that are able to recognize that, that we should be able to be a people that in, at the body of Christ, all divisions, they fall away, that somehow to be a part of the body of Christ welcomes and says, hey, you know, no matter where you are, no matter what's happening in your life, if, if you know Jesus, we, we stand there together. You guys have heard the phrase, right? Like the ground is all level at the foot of the cross. That there is a sense that as we come to Jesus, anything and everything that divides us or anything that everything that would make one feel superior over the other, it all falls away. So that we find ourselves saying, hey, that's where we are. You know, I think about this in James that launches into this in James chapter 2. I'll just kind of read those verses with you for a moment because they just speak it well. It says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. It says, if we're going to love Jesus and we're going to be followers of Jesus, we can't be those who treat one person better than another based on something that they have or don't have or their background or any of those things. And he just gives us the example. It says, for there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, like two people, one rich, one poor, and they both enter in. He says, if you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and then say to the poor man, you can stand over there or sit here at my footstool, if you, if you allow those divisions to come into this, he says, here's the deal. You have, no, you have, sh- have you not shown partiality among yourselves? You've become judges with evil thoughts. You're allowing those to begin to permeate who you are and where you are. But if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. It's good just to have that wash over us for a moment. And I hope that even here, it's just true. I hope there's a sense that as we think about what's being laid out to us in James and what we see here in the book of Proverbs would be found here, that you would understand as we come together, there, there's not, you know, favorites. There's not, you know, a place, well, you know, you, you're, you're, you're wealthy, so you, you have this echelon of, of Christian, you know, and you're poor, but we would come into the place of saying, hey, you know, all that falls away when we come together. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter whether you have or you don't have. It doesn't matter uh, whether you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter, you know, ethnicity. It doesn't matter any of those things. I mean, all of that falls here. And there's a sense of God being God of all. And if that could be found here, I would just tell you this. It's the only place it really can be found. In a world that, you know, is seeking to highlight the divisions that are there, you guys, again, probably understand it. I, I know I watch it. It's not working. Uh, the world can't fix the, the things that divide. In fact, that sin and the way it works, it'll never get there, but we can. At the foot of the cross, there's a place where we just embrace that, and I hope that's a part of your life. I hope that in that sense, you're able just to kind of let anything else fall away as we come together, and it's a beautiful thing to recognize God is the God who is working and can work in anyone, and none of those things separate. All right, well, leaving that, verse 3. 
A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Pretty good little proverb, just tells us if you're going to be prudent, if you're going to be wise, if you're going to be someone who lives in a way that handles life well, he says then you've got to be able to foresee evil and hide himself. It is this place of being able to look ahead and see, hey, that's this is going to be a problem, and that's going to be there, and kind of prepare, live in, in, a, in a sense of being prepared for those. But, he says, if you're simple-minded, that's the idea of lacking wisdom, not thinking clearly. He says, you just kind of move on, and you'll be punished. There'll be a place that not being able to you know, walk in that, it'll go badly in, in, in so many ways, in, in the ways that would happen in your life. It's a good proverb. It's a good one that would call us to be people that are living wisely. And sometimes that is the ability of looking ahead in life and thinking, okay, you know, this is, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back, you know, uh, you know, got to start thinking about, you know, retirement or health insurance or, or whatever that is, or being able to navigate roads that are in front of us, but to see that which is coming and then live in light of it. It's just a good piece of wisdom. There's definitely a place that that's a godly thing, and, you know, not living that way uh, is, 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 not, is an ungodly way. Again, there is a surrender where we recognize, hey, God knows the future. I mean, my plans, as we've said all the way through the book of Proverbs, we make plans, God directs steps, uh, and so just because I'm, I'm, you know, being prepared doesn't mean I have any idea if it's really going to go that way. But there is good wisdom just to be hey, thinking ahead and, and, you know, living in light of things that are there. And that should apply to our lives. Now, those are very practical, but it's worth just quickly highlighting that this is really definitive of everything, right? I, I think about this. When we get to the end of the evening, a lot of times I'll have a, a verse slide that I put up on the screen when we're, when we're done. And it's usually, you know, one of the verses that were there. And so I have the, the, the final slide that we're going to put up. Uh, when we're all done this evening is this one, but the graphic itself kind of helps us kind of think about it in another way, where it just simply says the prudent sees danger and hides himself, and the simple go on and suffer for it. You know, when we think about the danger that's coming upon this world, you know, there's something so much worse than, you know, poverty, so much worse than, you know, trials. I mean, we, look, we know where this world is going. I mean, some of you are reading the book of Revelation with us right now in our daily reading, and you know, may not understand everything that you're reading, but one thing you know is this is not going to go well for our world. I mean, I, I, I see where this world is going. I, I understand the end, and you know what? I don't want to be there. I, I want to be hidden from that. I, I want to be rescued from that, and that's exactly what God is offering us in Christ that he would tell you if you're a follower of Jesus that, you know, that that's where you are. You're living in light of that and in many ways being able to walk in that. But it just makes sense right now that I would just say this, if you're here this evening and you don't know Jesus, if you're not just thinking this through and thinking, okay, there is a hell, uh, this world is falling apart, uh, you know, if that's where you've placed your life and placed your lot, that's going to go badly for you. And, And the prudent one would see that and say, how do I get out of that? How, how does that not become my destiny? And Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Nobody gets out of this any other way. And we just invite you to Jesus tonight. We just want to tell you, if you're not in Christ, that this is what you're needing. And certainly it is the greatest piece of wisdom that we could call you to in that regard, just for seeing where everything's going and then recognizing that is not where you want to go. Good advice. All right, we'll flip the page. We're going to be in verse 4 there. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. 
So he gives us two things, by humility and fear of the Lord, and they couple together in a quite beautiful way. Uh, many have kind of noted this in the midst of it, that humility in many ways is a proper view of yourself. It is recognizing who you are, recognizing uh, your just, you know, space in the world, but the fear of the Lord, it's a proper view of God, that there's a sense of, of doing that. And in one sense, when you can have those two together, which is both you know, not thinking too highly of yourself, recognizing your smallness, and yet recognizing God's greatness, that's the good way to live. That's the right space to live. And in this, he just tells us out of that would flow riches and honor and life. Doesn't mean that we'll always be financially rich, though there are blessings that God meets us in that, but certainly spiritually rich and honor and eternal life. There's a road that says, that's what I want. A place where, you know, God is great and I'm small. And, and that's exactly where God would have us to be. You know, we, we've said it in many ways, uh, times before. The so interesting thing about these two is they really are connected. Uh, the, the higher you think of yourself, the less you think of God. You know, the, the more you raise yourself up, the, the, the lower God brings. But if you, you know, the greater you see God, the smaller you get. The smaller you get, the greater he gets, and they move in that way in a way that they really are connected. And God is seeking to grow us so that we're in a place that if it's happening in your life, God is continuing to like, God is big and I'm really small. I mean, I thought we were, thought there was a big chasm before and it keeps getting bigger. You know, I mean, the more I grow in that, the greater it becomes and certainly where God would call us to be. And that's where life would be found. All right. Verse five. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Thorns and snares. You guys get it, right? A thorn. Thorns like a thorn, a, a rose bush or something. And so it's, it's a snag. It's a pain. It's, it's a hindrance. Or a snare, which would be like a trap. That which would, you know, catch you and, and you know, find you in that sense, snared by the things that are there. He says, that's the way of the perverse. That's the ones who are doing life, you know, rebelling against God, perverse in their sinful ways. He says you can look at it, and not only is it painful, not only is it like, ouch, you know, as it told us earlier in the book of Proverbs, the way of the unfaithful is hard, but it's also traps. It's also traps, and so he, he, he warns us of that. But he said if you would guard your soul, if you would be one that says, I don't want to be perverse, I don't want to be wrong with God. I don't want to be, you know, out, I'm going to be intentional about examining my soul and being right with God. He says, then, then you'll be rescued. <laughs> that that would direct you away from just thorns and snares by, by that place of valuing who you are, by saying, I want to guard my, my life. I want to guard my soul. And may it be tonight that that's exactly what God is doing inside of you. Verse 6, perhaps one of the most famous uh, Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So it calls positively, it's a, to, to train a child and seek to, to guide their lives, and then that gives us the blessing, which would say, you know, when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, just going to be honest, if you've never walked this through or thought this through, I'm going to do this in a way that for somebody, it's going to be really, really helpful. Somebody else, it's going to really, really frustrate you. And you're going to feel like I just robbed you of something that you, you had. Um, others, it can be very, very clarifying. But I just want to make sure that you're thinking this through very clearly. 
We're in the book of Proverbs. And one of the things about the book of Proverbs is Proverbs are not promises. They are wisdom. Proverbs are not promises. They are wisdom. It's not a thing that it always works this way. That if it's not 100% like you do this and you'll get this. No, he's calling us to the wise choices in life. There is no sense that it always works that way. And we could just track through so many of our Proverbs and recognize that's true. We'll see more of them this evening that we'll know the same thing, that we're not looking at a promise. Now, I ought to quickly pause that and say there are exceptions to that because there are Proverbs that talk about God's character and God doesn't change. So if it's true, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. That works because he's the one that's always good. But things like this, it isn't necessarily a promise. So here's one of the things we just need to understand. For some, they've taken this uh, as some promise. Like if I raise my kids in church, it's a guarantee that they're going to come back to Jesus. I mean, it's just like this guarantee that if I do a good job as a parent, that they're going to be saved. And I just want to walk around that very gently and say, how would that ever work? So are you saying that, I mean, depending on your theology, that either this overrides God's sovereignty or it overrides their responsibility? I mean, somehow, you know, you get to do this and, and it undoes that, you know, some kind of way. No, it doesn't do that. And we'd be even more clear to say, we, we don't always see that. Sometimes the most godly parents have some of the most ungodly children who never return, who never return. And then there are some of the most ungodly parents whose kids turn out amazing by God's grace and he saves them. And you would look and you'd say, okay, that's not, this isn't that. This isn't a promise that, you know, if you do well, your kids are going to be saved. Because see, for some of you, you're holding that and I'm just destroying it. And I'm so sorry. I, I love you. I just wanted you to say that. But for some of you, it's condemnation because you're like, my kids aren't doing well, so I must not have raised them well. You know, it's my fault you know, it's my fault, you know, I mean, I should, have, I should have trained them up better, because if I had done a better job, you know, now their salvation's my fault, and I just want to tell you, that's not ever the way this works, this isn't some kind of, hey, you do this, and you always get this, it's not that way at all, instead, it's guidance, and it's good guidance, the idea, in one sense, if you train them, and certainly the idea of training them the way it should go, the way being a godly way, it'll be incredibly influential, and we could just simply pause and say, this is incredibly true. The reality is this. You are the most receptive uh, to patterns, to learning as a child. Uh, the, 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 the older you get, the more stubborn you get. Not talking to anybody specifically, but I'm just telling you it's true. I mean, the harder it is to train, the harder it is to learn. But when you're young, it's incredibly receptive. Most people that come to Christ come to them young. That's just the truth. Uh, taking statistics, we'd find that to be the case. And most of the ways that we could learn habits in, in places in our lives are things learned young. So can I just tell you this? Don't take this as a promise that would ensure your kid's salvation, but take it as really good guidance. So if I'm speaking to a parent here this evening that you have kids, or if I'm speaking to a grandparent that you're involved in, in, in your kid's life, I just challenge you to this. Grab them while they're young and try to train them, try to give them godly habits, that you would train things because learned young, they, they so often be kind of the, the, the net go-to. So what would that look like? Well, I'll just toss out a few. 
go to church. I mean, be in church regularly. Kind of have that as a regular part of your kids' lives. Like, this is what we do. We do, we do this. And so somehow that just becomes ingrained. It's like, that's what you do. Um, you know, teach them, uh, you know, about having time with the Lord Jesus, spending time daily in his word, teaching them to pray. Make that a constant part of their life so that somehow that just becomes like, nom- like that's just the way you do things. Like, like before we do anything else, we, we read, a, you know, the Bible or before we do it, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, that's how we begin our day or end our day. Teach them good habits that would even be good relationally. Have meals together. I have spaces where you, where, you, where you communicate. Give them a habit of, of just thinking it through. Like, I want to teach some good things, the kind of things that, you know, if I don't get them now, it'll be harder to train these things later. And some of you understand. It's like, okay, it's, hard. it's really hard to kind of, you know, teach that old dog new tricks. It's really hard to, you know, kind of, you know, change habits. It can be done. It can be done. Thankfully, graciously, God is good, but it's so good young. Parents, it's just a challenge. And it's a good challenge to say, I want to give them, because the idea is, is to teach them a course of life. Give them good habits. Teach them the way they should go. Teach them what that looks like so that it becomes kind of a default that, that they so easily come back to. And so think that through if you're a parent. Think that through as you're a grandparent. Like, what would I like to be an influence of? So that somehow this would be something that would become maybe normative later in their life. Don't wait for it because it is, again, the most receptive. Now, with that, I also want to just be very, very clear. Um, for Hebrew students of this, as well as some others, they found not that, that as you kind of study this out, it's certainly this. In fact, they often find it probably has more than one meaning. And so for good Hebrew students, they don't think it's one or the other. It's a little bit of both. But certainly there is an idea of training them in godliness, training them in good habits. But the, the wording that's used of his way is an individual word. Uh, it's not a word that's necessarily a, a corporate word, uh, a word that everybody should go. It has the idea of, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. And one of the things that we just begin to recognize, and uh, those who spend a lot more time on this than we're going to spend tonight, is, is that understanding that raising children, there is no cookie-gutter approach. Every child is different. Every child is who they are. And one of the, the challenges for a parent is to help children kind of figure out their way in life, figure out, you know, both their personality, both their interests, both their skills, and figuring that out, that, you know, help them figure that out then, that in one sense, that the calling of a, of a parent is to simply be a part of that, and so there are a bunch of books and stuff written on this, and those who want to go deeper would, would highlight that some of this is that challenge to a parent to not just treat your children in a blanket, but just like, I want to know you, and I want to help you figure out who you are. Uh, you know, obviously not sin, obviously not encouraging any of that, because some of our world would take that that way, and I want to be very clear when we're talking about that, but there is the sense of, hey, you know, are you an artist? You know, do you have a skill towards, you know, expressing, you know, the beauty of creation through that? Then I want to kind of tap into that with you. I want you to help figure out who you are. I want to figure out how God made you, and, and some have kind of looked at this and said, you know, there are so many um, adults who spend so much of their life still trying to figure this out because they didn't learn it at home, uh, that they could have figured, you know, it's, it's like, I, I should have figured this out years ago. I should have figured out years ago that this is who I am. I, I mean, I, it, just, it should have been so clear to me, and so some of that's a challenge. Well, now that I've really messed this verse up for you, uh, we will leave that there, but it's enough to give good guidance uh, for parents to say, hey, take this seriously. 
take seriously that, that, that parenting that seeks to be a part of taking your kids and leading them well. All right, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrow, borrower is servant to the lender. So the, this is just a statement of fact, so we use blue for that. Those who are wealthy has that sense where they are the ones that are making decisions so often that affect the poor, and he, he highlights it, that the borrower is servant to the lender. And it's probably really highlighting that specific relationship, even in the first part of it, just saying that, you know, when you put yourself in debt, you put yourself under the one who then has control over that. And so I'll just give it to you in a very simple way. Hey, I would tell you that God's plan for your life is get out of debt and stay there as, as best as you can. That debt itself puts you under that, that place of so often being under control, and it's just a good piece of wisdom. Again, I don't want that to be any kind of condemnation for anybody here this evening. I'm not talking about houses or any of those things, but definitely talking about things like credit card debt or any of those places. There's, there's just such damage, and you know the Bible speaks a lot of that, speaks a lot about how to do that, and just simply says you're kind of under control. You're in that place where there's a lack of freedom to walk in Christ and the things that he has, and so I just give this to you if that's where you are. just want to encourage you out of that. If you need help, we have people that we could plug you in with who would sit down and walk with you and help you kind of think that thing through and kind of get out of that, but just again, that's a dangerous place and one of those things that makes you a servant in a, in a bad way. Well, I'll leave that with you, and uh, again, just an encouragement. Verse 8, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. So the one who's going to do sin, and, and like sowing sin, almost like they're sinning, and they're kind of, you know, just planting it all around them, because that's what they do. He says, what you're going to reap out of that is sorrow. Your, your sin is going to produce sorrow. Your sin, that's where it goes. Sin will bring about that kind of result, and the rod of your anger. Whatever you think is kind of controlling or defending or working that, that's going to fail. So there's a good warning right here. And if this is a warning for anybody to you, that you find this being the proverb that you need to hear tonight, just saying, hey, you know, your choices will affect your future. You know, that what you sow, you will reap, as it tells us in the, in, uh, the book of Galatians. There's warnings there of saying, I don't want, you know, to reap, you know, a reward of this. And that's certainly just a good warning. That said, this, book, this verse in the Hebrew and the way it kind of reads, it's not meant as a challenge to the sinner so much as it seems to be just the way the wording of it is a little bit more of an encouragement. So many would say it's an encouragement to those who are, who are suffering oppression, that he's just telling you, hey, it's not always going to be this way. In fact, one translation of it just simply says, you know, troublemakers are going to get trouble. You know, those who are causing trouble in your life, they're going to, you know, that's going to come back upon them. That, that's, that's going to come back upon their life. And those who are hurting, those who in anger, it's going to fail. It's going to eventually go away. And almost is just meant as an encouragement. If you're finding yourself in that space thinking, yeah, I, I'm in a place where, you know, those, they're, 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 there's people who are sinning and they're hurting me and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're angry, but there's just a sense of saying, hey, they're going to reap what they sow and their power is not forever. Don't believe that. Just allow that to wash over you in a way that would bring hope and help. And God is certainly speaking that. Verse 9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives his bread to the poor. So he's calling us to a generous eye, and it's a powerful little metaphor that would say the way that you view people, the way that you view life, uh, he's definitely calling us away from a selfish lifestyle 
to a generous lifestyle, one that would think about others and think about what they're going through. And he says, if you have this, it's more than just a perspective, it's practice. He says, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Then he says, you know, it becomes one, and certainly this place where God's calling us to this, that we don't just go, well, I just feel bad for people. <laughs> it's like, that's great, but what do you do about it? It, it? it should cost us. It should cost us where something of what would be ours, we're being a blessing to others, and that generosity that God is calling us to, Jesus calls us to this. You know, when he talked about this, he says, the poor you're going to have with you always. You're always going to have to deal with this. This is never going to be something that's going to be solved. And, and we're called to be those who have a heart for that and seek to minister into that. May God help us. Verse 10, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Cast out the scoffer, this one who is rebellious and mocking and uh, resisting. The scoffer is used all the way through the book of Proverbs as something that's unbiblical and a, and a wrong way to do that. He says, if you'll do that, contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. It's a pretty little simple proverb, but it's worth just thinking it through for a moment. Some of you are going to be able to just think this through for a moment. You're going to think, I should have done it sooner. Uh, some of you have done this. There's a time when there are some who are causing problems that, you know, if you just could disconnect from that, disconnect from that friendship, disconnect from that person, you, you just find so many of the problems go away. So let me just kind of highlight the words because they're interesting. I'll use little numbers. I don't know if you'll even be able to see them there, but probably so scoffer. Uh, it really has the idea of one who's boasting, scorning, and mocking. Uh, the kind of person who's, who's arrogant and mocking everybody and speaking down to people. He says, when you have that kind of person, boy, they just create problems everywhere they are. He says, if you, if you could cast them out, he says, that contention, that strife, that dissension will just go away. You know, strife, which has the, even the idea in the Hebrew of judgment or condemnation. He says, it's going to stop. That, that place of reproach, which is shame and disgrace, it's going to stop. He says, in many ways, if you could look at this and, and realize the source of it so often is somebody who is that. In fact, one translation gives it to us this way. The CEV, the uh, contemporary, I think it is, I can't remember, Christian, I don't know which one it is, how you say it, but arguments and fights will come to an end if you chase away those who insult others. It's kind of just a simple way to say it. You know, arguments, when you, when you, when you put away those who are just insulting, speaking down to people, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. When you, when you pull that person out, all of a sudden, it changes. Now, again, I'm just speaking this to you. Some of you, you've done this. You, you had a group of friends or you had a group of people, and it was just always problematic. It was always contentious. And you're like, man, what happened? And then one time you just realized, hey, this person, you know, we just need to kind of distance ourselves from them. They're rebellious. They're rebellious against Christ. They're rebellious against his ways. They're arrogant. And sometimes all of a sudden they're gone. It's like, huh, it's all better. That's kind of interesting. I don't, that's just kind of interesting the way that worked. I mean, it really did kind of create an atmosphere of that. And it's just a good space. Some of you might be going through it now, that you're allowing that in your life. And in many ways, there's a place of saying, no, that is, you know, that influence is, is at times to be cho chosen away from because it only creates conflict. And so it's just really, really good advice. That said, when I read this, um, my mind went to hold on the direction because I found myself thinking about these words, you know, strife, dissension, judgment, condemnation, shame, and disgrace, and thinking through, you know, the one that's really bringing those problems into our world and life. And I found myself thinking of a passage that we just read in the book of Revelation. For some of you guys who are reading it through with us, it's found there in chapter 12. And 
And he had this moment when it tells us that war broke out in heaven. Michael, who's an archangel, and his angels fought with the dragon, who is Satan, which will tell us that in a moment. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there any place found for them in heaven any longer. Simply put, without spending much time on this, this hasn't happened yet. This is prophet, prophetic about the day that's coming, when there's going to be a war in heaven, and Satan is going to be blocked out. He's going to be kicked out of even having that access, that kind of access he has in the book of Job, where he's able to kind of speak into that. It says, it's done. He's, he's going to be removed from that. He's going to be kicked out. So it says, then that great dragon was cast out. And I just kind of, that's where I kind of, you know, in these words, cast out the scoffer. You know, in our text here in Proverbs, that great dragon is cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. It's really, really good news. I mean, it's just really, really good news to let us know something. There's the day coming when the scoffer is going to be cast down. The one who creates dissension and condemnation and shame, he's going to be cast down. And he says when he's cast down, everybody's going to be like, yes, you know, now salvation and, and honor and glory is all there because he has been doing this how much? Every day. He's, he's then the one who accused them before our God day and night. And one of the things I want you to understand is that this is a prophetic thing of what's coming, but it points back to what's happening now because he hasn't been cast down yet. He hasn't been cast down. He's still causing problems. He does it through this kind of accusation, this kind of being this scoffer who speaks down and, and, and condemns us. And I just want to take this moment to remind you because it's a key thing that you would understand. There's not any Christian in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus, then he has, he has done this. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He spends his days doing this in Christians. It's one of his most effective tactics in our lives that would seek to bring in condemnation, to bring in shame, to bring in uh, guilt. And it's one of the things that undoes us all the time. And I just want to make sure that you're aware of it. I just want to make sure that you're not surprised. It's like, of course I battle with that. Of course, that's what the enemy does. That's what he does. This is how he works. But grab this. It's not always going to be that way. There's a day coming when he's going to be cast down. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's nice, but that's not now. I mean, what do we do? Well, thankfully, that's what God tells us in the next verse. And they, that is the brethren, that is you and me, they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Very quick, just, pat, just give this to you. I hope it's a verse that you could memorize or understand. It says there's three things you can do to overcome condemnation. Know Jesus' forgiveness. It's the blood of the Lamb. You gotta believe you're really forgiven. I mean, sometimes it's the condemnation that he keeps bringing up your past, that things that happened five years ago and 10 years ago, and somehow you just forget that you've been forgiven. It's like, how powerful is the blood of the Lamb? I, you know, my sin, not in part, but the whole is washed away. And if I could believe that, then Satan's condemnation takes less effect. Secondly, just remember what he's done by the word of your testimony. Don't lose sight of all the good things that he's done. Don't, because at that moment, when you get condemned, it's pretty much all of a sudden you're like, I think I'm the worst excuse for a Christian ever. I've never done anything good. Everything that's ever been a part of, it's like, no, wait, that's not always been this way. 
God has done good things. I've known his favor. I, I have a testimony of, of, of his work in my life. Those kinds of things battle against Satan's lies. But then lastly, don't love your life, even to the death. Don't make it about you. Get your eyes off of you. Satan's goal of condemnation is to make you get focused on you. And he says, don't. Don't love your life. Don't love you. Just, it's not about you. It's not about any of that. If you could kind of let that go for a moment, all of a sudden these things that are working so against us uh, find themselves defeated. So again, I like that because I look at this and I say, this is true. We have a scoffer who is scorning and mocking us and it creates strife and dissension, but out of that, it's condemnation. It's judgment that we feel condemned. We, we are that that brings shame and, and disgrace. And yet to see what that is and to see that Jesus has given us everything we need to overcome that is incredibly powerful. And it's just good to know it's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this way. He's going to be cast out. All right. Flip the page. Verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. So these first two really go together. Um, this idea of having a pure heart, having just, you know, just trying to you know, do what's right from the inside, uh, having motives that are right kind of deal. And then there's grace on your lips. Out of that, you know, you're just speaking kindly and gently and how that flows. And really those two are meant to go together and they need to go together. He just simply says, if that's where you are, then the king will be your friend. And it's kind of this place of back what we saw in verse 1. If you choose character, if you choose character over riches, that so often opens up doors. Now, again, this is a proverb. This isn't a promise. doesn't mean like if you do this, you know, then you literally can be you know, friends with a king. But it's the idea of most people choose this kind of person to hang around. It's like I want somebody who is, you know, honest and they have integrity and they, they're just, their words are gentle. It's like that's, that's just the kind of person you're like, I want you to be my friend. Like, I want, to, you know, I want to hang around you. It's like, that's the kind of person you want to be. That's the kind of way it would want to be, and he'd certainly challenge us to have that. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. Faithless. So the eyes of the Lord, what God sees, the God who sees everything and who's watching this, he preserves knowledge. And those who are walking in knowledge is the idea. Those who, are, who know the truth, who live that truth, who are walking with God. For us, we know it's Jesus and, and having that. He says that God preserves that. God is the one who protects that. But in contrast, he overthrows, that he resists, that he stands against those who are faithless, those who you know, move away from that, those who don't walk in that. I think about this, and I just want to tell you it's just true. There's something about understanding what God is doing, and I found myself thinking about this, and I love the, the account that's given to us in uh, the book of Chronicles. It tells us of King Asa. It's actually in a moment that he's doing badly, but as, he, as it speaks into that, it gives us a familiar promise. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He just says God is looking. God, God's eyes are searching the world for the ones that he can stand with, that he can, you know, that are holding faithful to him. Like this is what God is doing. And again, I'm telling you, though this is the book of Proverbs, when it speaks about God, it's a promise. I just want to tell you, this isn't something that's, well, that happened for a moment. No, this is what God does. He is looking. He is looking. 
He is looking for those who would hold fast to him, who would hold true to him. And and God would say, "I, I, I, I want to be that one who would be strong on their behalf. That's the faithfulness of our God. Well, the sad reality is that this incredible promise is given in a moment where King Asa, who it's given to, is doing anything but this. He's moved into a time of life where he's trusting his own wisdom instead of God's wisdom. He's trusting political power instead of leaning on God. And so the prophet just comes to him and tells him this. says, don't you know who our God is? Don't you know he's the one that is this way? And then he just says it this way in the same verse at the end of it. He says, and this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you're going to have wars. He says, you've made a, you're making a bad choice because instead of trusting God, you've trusted yourself. Instead of trusting him, you're looking to political power and might. And so there is a sense here where Proverbs is telling us this. We just are meant to believe this and say, okay, God is looking. God is looking. His eyes are moving throughout the world, and I want to be on the one that he's showing favor to. I want to be the one that his strength is there. I don't want to be the one that he's overthrowing. And certainly just calling us to live that way, to live our lives in light of God sees everything. God sees everything, and he's looking. So I want to live my life in light of that. It's a powerful way to live, and certainly one that would be rescuing. All right. Verse 13, the lazy man, again, we get back to this. We talk about the lazy person every now and then in the book of Proverbs. The lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. This is one of those Proverbs that's powerful but quite comical, if you can imagine. It says, so here's this lazy person, this person who is living lazy, and God just looks at that and says, it's a bad thing. Don't have time to spend more time on that. If that's something you're struggling with or you have a question, we can talk about it. But laziness is held as a bad place, something that's not honorable to, to live lazy. But he, he just imagines it here. He says, here's this lazy person, and he's like, there's a lion outside. You know? I mean, it's almost as if you, should, you would be like, so why don't you go out and get a job? I might be eaten by a lion. That's, that's, I, the cra- it's meant to be almost ludicrous. It's like, wait, uh, so you, uh, lions, they don't hang out in the streets. You know, they, they're like in the wilderness. I mean, but, like, but it's like, no, no, you know, it could go really bad. Like if I, if I actually did something, it could just, I, oh, no, I'm just too scared. I'm too scared to even try. And it's like, what, is, what are you doing? You know, I mean, it's this crazy reasoning that happens in there, and he's meant to be kind of mocking here. It's meant to be kind of mocking, but fun to simply say, you know, here's this person who's living in fear, but it's, it's not even rational fear. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll just, if I, if I tried to get a job, I'd die. I, I, I'd die in the streets. That's what happened right there. It's like, no, you won't. Like, get, like, work. Like, you know, I mean, the Bible's really clear about this. The one who doesn't work isn't supposed to eat. I mean, be faithful, be laboring, be that person who's involved in the midst of it. There's honor in, in, in life that's lived that way. And so, again, it's just meant to be that way. And I wish I could penetrate it better in my mind. It's just, it's much funnier than I can say it right now. It's just like, this is funny. Just imagine this person actually saying this and uh, seeing that whole thing take place. All right. Let's flip over to the next page. Verse 14, the mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit, and he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. So the mouth of an immoral woman. He says, here's this person who's, who's immoral, who's seeking to draw that into that. He says it's a deep pit. Now, without getting too technical, please understand, he's speaking about this, tr- this way, but it's true the other way around as well. The, the mouth of an immoral man is a deep pit. It's not here meant to be gender specific. It is the idea of just, hey, this person who's, who's immoral, that's a trap. That, that's, a, that's a deep hole. You know, you fall into that. You know, that, that's, a, that's a destructive thing. And so you could kind of just say it that way. Adultery is a trap. 
It's a trap. I mean, you should just make sure you look at that and think anybody who's flirtatious or drawing, that's, that's dangerous. That's, like, stay away from that. You know, like, you would be like, I'm not going near that. That's a hole that could destroy people's lives. And he just simply says, the one who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. That the one who, 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 who rejects God and rejects his ways, they're going to fall into that kind of thing. They're going to fall into that kind of place. We could turn that around and say it positively. Living in God's favor will keep you safe. Living in the one that says, I, I, I don't want God to, I want God's favor. I want the eyes of the Lord to look upon me and be like, yes. You know, so living that way will keep you from making such horrible choices and, and being found there. May it be that way in our world that is so immoral right now. May you believe that God is speaking the truth. It is not a good thing. It is a bad thing to hang around and be drawn into immorality. May you be rescued from that. May you not fall into a pit. May you find yourself in God's favor being protected from all of that. Verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. This is one of those Proverbs that's just a statement of fact and it's a good one uh, for us to think through for a moment. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You probably know this. Uh, If you're a parent, I hope you understand that. But I also just know this. Our culture is so pervasive. And sometimes they'll tell us, hey, you know, children are innocent. You know, children are just, they're just, there's goodness in the heart of a child. They're just there. And God's like, no, there's not. There's foolishness in there. Like, sin is, is naturally there. I mean, you don't ever have to teach, you know, a child to, to be selfish or to, you know, hit somebody for their toys. I mean, you, it's, it's amazing to watch it. I mean, I've had kids. I have grandkids now, and I love them, but I'm telling you, it's pretty easy, pretty good. I was like, man, that's, wow, that's pretty, you're, that's pretty selfish. I was like, I, who taught you that? You know, it's like, I know where it came from. Foolishness is in there. I mean, there should be no doubt about it. No doubt that that's what's in every life. And so he just calls to discipline. He says that, that rod of correction, that place of, uh, of discipline from a parent, he says that's what the, is, is to seek to drive that away. To seek to, you know, lay in the consequences, you know, early to say, hey, you don't want to make those choices because those choices are going to be destructive in your life. That's one of those calls, again, for parents to say that's what we're seeking to do. We recognize uh, that's what's a, a part of our lives. We recognize that's what's there, and again, it's just powerful uh, to process it through. Well, one more. We'll do one more proverb, and we'll end there this evening. Verse 16, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. So he gives us a thought. So here's this person who is oppressing the poor to increase his riches. The sad reality is that's so common. People that take advantage of the, of the poorest of the poor, that you know, look upon them and get wealthy and get rich off of taking advantage of that. He says, that person who does that and the one who gives to the rich, which is almost this way of instead of, you know, being a blessing, you're kind of currying favor with all of your life towards the wealthy, not being a blessing to others, uh, you know, but, you know, kind of living that way. But both of them, he says, that's going to go badly for you. That's going to come to poverty. It is poverty in this world. It is poverty spiritually. It is poverty in a sense that would be rescuing from that. And so God is simply calling us away from that. God is calling us away from, from that kind of life that is so common, that he's calling us again with that, that eye of generosity and kindness is who we're supposed to be. 
Well, that's kind of an odd one to end on, but I think that's where we'll end this evening for a few reasons, both because it's time, but just FYI, it changes. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll talk about it, but there's a, there's a shift in the book of Proverbs over the next few chapters that takes place in verse 17. Uh, I think in the bottom of our, top of our book, it says the sayings of the wise, so uh, I will explain what that is next week, but that's for next week. Well, let's leave there and again just say, okay, here we are. God is calling us to be a people that live our lives wisely, that live our lives in light of the things that God is speaking to us, that we're making choices that call us to character, to generosity, to, to kindness. But ultimately, I like the idea of understanding, again, that we want to be those that the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout the earth to find himself strong. You know, that means he sees us here tonight. That means he sees us here tonight. And so much what we want to be are those who would say, God, I want you to look here and say, I can get behind that. I can get behind you. I, I, I can bless what you're doing. I, I, can, I, can, I can see that. And, and there's, you know, you're making good choices or you're believing in me. That's where we long to be. We want to be in that space. Would it be there? If that's not where you are, it's a good space right now to say, okay, God, let's, let's get back on track. I, I don't want to be the one that, God, you have to resist. I don't want to have to be the one that God says, I resist that. I resist the proud. I, re- I resist people that are, you know, living badly. I don't want to be the one that finds that to be uh, the space where I am. So a good place for us again to this evening, just to kind of lay our lives into that. If that's a surrendering your life to Jesus, we invite you to that. If it's correction in any one of these spaces, maybe something landed in the one of these Proverbs that would just be, okay, that's, that's where I'm needing to go. May you go there this evening. So let's go before him in prayer right now and ask that he lead us in that, and then we'll close with a couple songs of worship and allow that just to wash over us. Father, tonight I thank you for your word that guides us to wisdom, that calls us to make godly choices. God, forgive us where they've been foolish choices. Thank you for forgiveness. God, in that, I want to pray right now against condemnation. I recognize we have an enemy, and I know what he's done. I know what he's been doing today. I know what he's been doing this week in people's lives. He is one that brings in judgment, condemnation, making us feel guilty, making us feel ashamed. God, would you help us to overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, by not loving ourselves. May we overcome and then be brought out of that into a life that would find itself in your favor. Would you direct us in that this evening? I ask for that for me and for all of us here. We ask it together in Jesus' name.